Well, I don't know how many of you grew up with Christmas traditions like my family's, but would you hit the like button in some way, shape, or form right now? If at some point along the way in your house, in your family, you had a Christmas countdown, advent calendar, something like this, maybe it was paper, maybe it had some different things to it, but if you ever had a Christmas countdown, advent calendar in your house, would you go ahead and hit that like button? Yeah, for me and my family, every year in my childhood, in the mail, we would receive a paper advent calendar from my Aunt Mary in Colorado, and we would proudly display it on the 1st of December, and we would, every every single day we'd get up and we'd you know carefully peel away the the little the little uh, number that would let us know that would reveal what was underneath there sometimes it'd be a scripture verse sometimes it'd be some other encouragement um, but it was a great tradition within our family and I remember having a few distinct thoughts based on those advent calendars based on those Christmas countdown calendars the first one was that Christmas is not a good time to cut your fingernails real short because sometimes if you had to get in those paper things I mean sometimes they, they were not easy to get open and you had to you had to have a little bit of nail to get under there and I just remember thinking, Christmas, not the time to cut your fingernails. Now, some of you, you just heard that and you're thinking, oh my gosh, that is the most practical thing I have ever heard in a church service. This guy's a genius and you're right, I am. The second thought that I had though was like, I, was, I remember thinking, man, someday, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be great? Because we always had these paper ones that had some encouragement and, and nothing else under. I remember thinking, wouldn't it be great if someday someone invented, someone came up with a way that when you that when you you know opened the little slit, when you opened the little number, that there could be like a piece of candy in there? I remember, I remember thinking someday there were, I'm going to live in a world, and my kids might grow up in a world where where when you open that thing, there would be a piece of candy in there. Now, if you've ever wondered, I wonder if Chris was an overweight child, there's your answer. Now, I remember thinking that, and I remember thinking, 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 and I was just thinking someday that's going to be a, a thing, and maybe I'm going to be the one who, who, who makes it a reality. And then one, one, one day in college, we were, we were talking with a bunch of friends, sitting around talking about uh, Christmas family traditions that we had had growing up, and I remember where I, was, I was talking about how we always had the advent calendar, and I talked about how my million-dollar idea for life you know, outside of ministry was that I was going to be the person who invented the advent calendar, the, count, the Christmas countdown that actually had candy behind the, behind the little windows. And all my friends just kind of got this expression like, oh, he doesn't know. Oh, he doesn't know. And finally someone went, um, Chris, those have existed forever. All of us had them growing up. And I remember at that moment, I, I felt, a, I felt a, a few things. I was, I was dumbstruck. I was absolutely dumbstruck. I, I was actually a little angry, to be honest. Like last night, I was trying to describe to Jalen what, what these were like, the, the type that we had were like, the little paper ones. And, and I was trying to describe to her what they were like and how you just pulled it back and there's a piece of encouragement or a scripture. And she said, do you mean the kind where there's candy in, 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 underneath? And I literally, I actually had to leave the house because those old wounds resurfaced, that pain resurfaced, that feeling of, of, of anger just kind of resurfaced in that moment. And I just remember thinking more than anything in that moment in college, I remember feeling a little bit sad because this thing that I had hoped for and dreamed of it had always existed. It, it had been there all along, and I had missed out on it. With that, today we begin our series, Arrival, the Coming of the Newborn King. And whether or not you grew up in a house with Advent calendars or grew up with a religious tradition that, uh, that focused on the liturgical calendar and emphasized Advent every year around Christmas, most of us, maybe all of us, at least know that the word, we, we're familiar with the word Advent, and we know that it has to do something with Jesus' birth and something to do with the Christmas season. Many of us are, are, have a very faint familiarity with the, with the idea of Advent. Advent, coming from the Latin, Adventus, literally means coming. 
It literally means coming. And this is interesting. While it's been associated with Christmas for a long time, the earliest Christians didn't actually celebrate Advent as a remembrance of Jesus' first coming. They actually celebrated Advent as a looking forward to Jesus' next coming, the time that Christ would come again just as he had before. And in some places, there are records that show that it was actually customary for new believers to wait until a season of Advent and to spend 40 days of the Advent season um, in preparation to be baptized, in preparation to be baptized. When someone would come to faith in Christ, they wouldn't get baptized right away. They would wait till the Advent season, and they would spend 40 days in, in, in repentance, in prayer, in fasting, in, pre- in mentally and spiritually preparing to take the step of baptism so that they would be ready for the second coming of Christ. So traditionally speaking, Advent is a time of expectation and preparation. Advent is a time of expectation and preparation, which makes Christmas a time of expectation and a time of preparation. It's why we have calendars counting down the days until Christmas. It's why most years we have planners filled with events leading up to the, the, between now and Christmas Day. It's why we put up the tree and we get out all the lights and we bake the cookies and we wrap the gifts. We're preparing for Christmas. It, it's a time of expectation as well. It's why we get up early on Christmas morning to give and to receive gifts. It's why children wake up at bursting out of their beds that normally you can't get them out of bed. They burst out of their beds because they're expecting something on Christmas morning. It's why Christmas is one of the most common times in the calendar for people to get engaged. There's a running joke in our, in our, at, our at our Bible college that if you hung around the Phillips Hall lobby on any given night in the month of December, you would probably see some couple coming in, in from the cold having just gotten engaged. And so we would gather in the Phillips Hall lobby to see who got engaged on December 6th and on December 10th and on December 13th and on December 14th. And anyway, while everyone else was getting engaged, I was sitting in the lobby waiting to see who got engaged, all right? It's it's just one of those things. It's a time of expectation that anything is possible at Christmas. Now, here's the thing. It's possible that for you this year, you don't feel any of that. It's possible that for you this year, it doesn't feel like a time of expectation and it doesn't feel like a time of preparation for anything. It's it's possible that you're thinking, yeah, 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 get the gifts, whatever. It's possible that you're not getting your hopes up for Christmas this year because every time you've gotten your hopes up for something this year, it hasn't gone the way you planned and your hopes were dashed. It's possible that you're not preparing anything because let's be honest, at this point, we're we're living two weeks to two weeks to two weeks to two weeks and and we have no idea what things are gonna look like in two weeks. So at this point, you're not preparing anything because you don't know what, what, life is going to look like two weeks from now. It's possible that you lost someone this year and without them, Christmas just isn't going to feel the same. So why bother? It's possible that hours haven't been consistent enough for you at work this year for you to have everything that your family would normally have at Christmas. And so you're kind of feeling this little weight of, weight of, of, of trying to make things feel the way they normally do, but not being able to make them happen financially. And you feel this weird pressure and you feel this actual guilt for some reason or there's shame for some reason because you're not able to make it happen. Instead of expectation and preparation, it feels like shame. It's possible that you are already Christmas out because you put up your tree and your lights the day after Halloween, like a psychopath. And it's possible that you maybe did your Christmas shopping. You did your Christmas shopping before Thanksgiving. And so there's nothing left to do. And things have been up for a month and things have been up for a month and a half. And you're kind of sitting there going, I'm already Christmased out. There's nothing left to prepare. There's nothing left to expect. There's nothing left to do. We're already Christmased out. We put it up early because we needed a little hope, but now it's been up so long, it doesn't even feel like Christmas anymore. 
It's possible that you have felt all of that and that this year feels like there's nothing to expect and nothing to prepare for. And if that's you, and if that's the feeling that you have, I have some really good news for you that revolves around the very first Christmas. See, at the very first Christmas, no one expected anything and no one was prepared for God to do anything. At the, at the, at the beginning, in the, in the very first Christmas story, with the events of the very first Christmas, no one was expecting anything. And no one was prepared for God to do anything. And so if you find yourself there, if you find yourself in that place, you're in good company. You're in, you're in, in the company of the people who experienced the miracle of the very first Christmas. But let's be, let's be honest. This is something that we often overlook at Christmas. But, be, but before Jesus' birth, the people of God hadn't heard from God in a really long time. And they hadn't seen God do much on their behalf in quite a while. They hadn't heard from God. They hadn't seen God do much on their behalf in a long, long, long time. So here's some history, history for you. Most of what we would call the major prophets in the Old Testament um, who wrote about the coming Messiah and the return to the glory for God's people and for the nation of Israel, they were written somewhere between 700 and 550 BC. These words were written at least 550 years before the arrival of Jesus, some even 700 years before the arrival of Jesus. They talked about the Messiah. They talked about when God would go to work on behalf of his people, when things would be restored for, for the good of the people of Israel and for God's chosen people. And for 700 years and 550 years, they had not seen God do much about bringing about what he had promised and what had been prophesied. The temple that Solomon built was the center of worship for God, and it was destroyed in 586 BC. And if the temple is the center of worship for your God, and you don't have a temple, your religion is over, and so is your connection with God. They believed their connection with God had somehow been broken in 586 BC and it hadn't been restored. In 538, the Jewish people were allowed to return to Jerusalem and allowed to rebuild the walls of the city and to rebuild their temple. And it was finished, in, the temple was finished in 515. And they gathered to have a dedication of the temple and to see what had happened and what had been rebuilt. And people who had seen the previous temple, when they came to the dedication of the second temple, when they came to the dedication of the second temple, people weeped and people wailed and said, oh my goodness, the glory has left because they knew what had been and what they were seeing now was nothing in comparison to what they had previously seen. And they believed that this temple was not befitting the God of Israel. So from 538 until the time of Jesus' birth, the people of Israel had never fully been self-governing, had never fully been self-governing. They moved from the Babylon, ruled by the Babylonians to the Persians, to the Greeks, to the Romans, tiny little bits and pieces of, of, of freedom, but pretty quickly was, was squashed and was conquered by just the next empire. They'd been ruled by empire, by empire, by empire, by empire over and over and over again. And on top of that, the last time that the nation of Israel had explicitly heard from God was when the prophet Malachi wrote his prophetic book called Malachi somewhere around 350 BC. For hundreds of years, before Jesus' birth, for hundreds of years, prophecies unfulfilled, promises unfulfilled. No activity on God's behalf, no miracles, silence. People were wandering and people were wondering if God was still interested in the lives of his people. No one expected anything in 0 BC. 
No one had expected God to do anything. No one was prepared for God to do anything in the year that Jesus was born. And then the events of the first Christmas unfolded. And all of the prophecies were fulfilled. And all of the promises were fulfilled. And all of the silence was broken by God's activity bursting to life. And all of, and every, and all of God's inactivity burst to activity of God coming to life. And the miracles returned. And the, and the work of the Spirit of the living God came once again to His people. And very few people saw it. But here's the thing, and this is what I want to focus in for the next few weeks. Jesus' arrival is a reminder that even when you don't expect anything of God, you should still expect some things from God. That even when you find yourself in a year like this year has been, where you kind of think, you know, I'm not expecting anything. I'm not getting my hopes up. I'm not looking to God because I don't know if God's going to come through. God's been awful silent. I feel like God's been kind of quiet. That even when in a year like that, when you feel that, when you don't expect anything of God, you should still have a faith that expects some things from God because God is consistent because God has shown himself time and time and time again that we can expect some things from God, that this year could still be a time of expectation for you. And for the next few weeks, what I want to do is I want to look at the Christmas story and I want us to see together the very things that we can expect from God, even in a time where we may not expect a whole lot of God. And so we're going to look at the Christmas story today, starting in Luke chapter 1. And I think one of the most amazing aspects of the Christmas story is that it doesn't begin with the people at the heart of the Christmas story. In Luke's account of, of, of Jesus' birth, he actually starts by looking at the story of some distant relatives of Jesus. So here's what we're told by Luke, starting in Luke chapter 1, verse 5. It says this, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. Both were righteous in God's sight, living without blame, according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. But we're told, they had no children because Elizabeth could not conceive, and both of them were well along in years. So we've got Zeke, and we've got Liz. we got Zeke, and we got Liz. And we're told that by the standards of the day and by the standards before God, these were good people. These were good people people. They were righteous and they were blameless. But we're told that despite their goodness, they had never been able to have a child. They had never been able to have a child. And it seems like they've given up hope because they are now of their now advanced age. And here's what I want to highlight here. A lot of people live with an in-order-to faith, with what I would call an in-order-to faith. And here's what an in-order-to faith looks like. In-order-to faith looks like this. I'll do what God wants me to do in order to, to get what I want. See, with in order to faith, we think that God is always dangling some carrot right in front of us, just out of our reach. But if we'll be good, if we'll do good, if we'll stay faithful for long enough, if we'll obey just enough, that maybe, just maybe, God will give us what we want and what we're really hoping for and what we're really living for. But here's the problem with that, and you can kind of recognize this. I mean, you can, you can kind of identify this. This isn't hard to understand. The problem with that is that once you get what you want, you have no reason to keep following God until the next time that you want something. And that's not a relationship. That's not the relationship that God wants you to have. Or, 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 or when you don't get what you want, you walk away, you drift away, and you blame God because God didn't come through the way that you thought God should come through for you. You had been living with an in order to faith, but God wasn't operating on an in order to faith. And when that didn't, when your plan didn't work out, you gave up on God or you give up on God. And here's the thing. That is a type of faith. 
but that's not the good stuff. That is a type of faith, and it's a common type of faith, but it is not the good stuff. Here's what I know. Zeke and Liz, they chose a better faith. They chose the good stuff. They chose something better, and they chose something stronger. They chose what I would call an even-though faith. See, even-though faith looks like this. Even though I haven't gotten what I wanted, I'm still going to follow God and His ways and His plans because at the end of the day, this wasn't my relationship with Him, my following of Him. It has never been and it will never be about what I get from Him. It's the fact that I trust Him. The fact that I trust Him. And whether I get what I want or if I never get what I want, I'm going to follow God because ultimately I know He has what's best and I know His ways are best. See, they chose an even though faith. And so if just for a second, could I challenge you this Christmas? Choose an even though faith. Choose an even though faith for the month of December. Choose an even though faith for, the, for, for this Christmas season. For this Christmas season, if you, if, you, if you can only make it two weeks, if you can only make it three weeks, if you can only commit to one week, choose an even though faith. Choose that even though this year hasn't gone the way that you hoped, you're still going to find hope, you're still going to find joy. Choose that even though you haven't seen a lot of good, you still believe that God is good and that God has good. Choose that even though God has been quiet, you lean into Him because you know He is never absent choose an even though faith. You're going to trust and follow and love God even though you haven't seen it a lot this year, even though you haven't seen it in the last month, even though you haven't seen his goodness, you're still going to follow him because he is good, because that's who he is, that you would choose that type of faith, that you would choose the same type of faith that Zeke and Liz did. Story goes on and says this, when his division was on duty and he was serving as the priest before God, it happened, it just so happened, that he was chosen by lot, that he was chosen by chance, according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. At the hour of incense, the whole assembly of the people was praying outside. And here's the thing, as far as Zeke is concerned, as far as Uncle Zeke is concerned right now, as far as he's concerned, this is just another normal day at the, at, the, at the office. There's nothing to prepare for, nothing big to expect. This is just another day at work. And here's what we're told happens. An angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing to the right of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was terrified and overcome with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, which this is your annual reminder that angels are the real stand-up comedians of the Christmas story. Because if, if, if based on what the Bible actually tells us about what angels looked like, anyone would be terrified. And for an angel to, and I'm, we're going to put a couple pictures of, of what, you know, biblically correct angels would have looked like, nothing like our children's stories looked like. And if you can look like that, and if you can stare directly into someone's, into someone's face and say, and say with a straight face or straight faces or straight eyes, I mean, some of these pictures are pretty crazy. If you can look at someone while looking like that and with a straight face say, don't be afraid. You've got to have a pretty good sense of humor. You've got to have, like, guys, I'm going to go down there and I'm going to tell them to not be afraid of me and I'm terrifying. Like the angels are the stand-up comedians of the Christmas story. They're the real heroes here. Okay, so, so we're told this, do not be afraid, Zechariah. And then he says this, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son and you will name him John. There will be joy and delight for you and many will rejoice at his birth. By the way, 
angel showing up at your workplace to tell you that you're going to have a, a, a baby is a heck of a pregnancy announcement. It, that's a heck of a way to find out that your, that your wife is pregnant. I found out that we were having Noble because I looked at our Amazon orders one day and I saw that Jalen had ordered a Green Bay Packers uh, onesie. And, and I, I was like, well, her sister, you know, her, our, our, our sister-in-law is pregnant. Maybe that's for her. She's a Packer fan too, but it's, but I, I'm thinking Jalen might be pregnant. And Jalen brought it home one day and she handed it to me with a, with a big surprise, like, surprise. And I was like, oh yeah, I already saw this in the Amazon cart. And she was like, you just ruined the surprise. And so anyway, I just want to let you know that for, from, from that day forward, I am, I am, I have been convinced that Angel beats Amazon. Angel is better than Amazon. This is the best way to find out that your wife is going to have a baby. This is the best way to find out that, uh, about a pregnancy announcement about your, your own wife. Here's what we're told the story says in verse 15. The angel went on, For he will be great in the sight of the Lord and will never drink wine or beer. He will be filled with the Holy Spirit while still in his mother's womb. He will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and the power of Elijah to turn the hearts of, the, of fathers to their children and the disobedient to the under understanding of the righteous to make ready for the Lord a prepared, prepared people. Here's the message. God is about to do a new thing. God is going to do this new thing that's the fulfillment of an old thing. God is going to do this new thing that's the fulfillment of what he's promised for hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years that from the beginning, this was God's plan all along. The Messiah is coming and your son is going to be the prophet to go ahead and to prepare the way for his arrival. God is doing a new thing. And if you've wondered where God is and what God has been doing, this is it. If you've been wondering about what God has been up to, God has been up to this all along. God is doing a new thing and it's going to start Zechariah. And it's going to start in Elizabeth. It's going to start in your family. Now, Zechariah responded to the angel how many of us would respond if God were to speak directly to us. Here's how we responded. How can I know this? Or, or other translations, how can this be? Zechariah asked the angel, for I am an old man. And then he said this, he said, and my wife is well along in years. Pay attention to this, guys. Uncle Zeke and Aunt Liz, they're old. And Uncle Zeke called Aunt Liz old. And if you notice, when Uncle Zeke called Aunt Liz old, Aunt Liz was not in earshot. If you're going to call your old if you're going to call your wife old to an angel who already knew it, by the way, don't do it when your wife is in earshot. This is why Zechariah was alive long enough to see the birth of his son, okay? But, 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 to, but, to, be, but to be real, Zechariah responds in this moment how many of us would respond. Like, wait, 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 wait. If God was going to do this, wouldn't he have done this when we were younger? Like, like didn't, didn't, didn't God kind of miss the window? Like, like we're, we're old, we're, like, we're, we're, we're too far gone, like, Shouldn't, shouldn't God do this through someone else? Shouldn't, shouldn't God pick someone else to accomplish this whole thing? All of those feelings of inadequacy, all those feelings of not wanting to get our hopes up again, all of those feelings of, of th that we so often face when, when God says that he's going to do something in us or do something through us. Like Zechariah felt every bit of that in this moment. And the angel answered him the way that I would love for God to answer every single one of us when, when, we, ha when we have these moments. Here's what the angel said. The angel answered him, I am Gabriel who stands in the presence of God. In other words, like, I didn't get this wrong. Okay, buddy, I, I, I didn't get this wrong. Like, God gave me really specific GPS coordinates. I'm Gabriel, who stands in the presence of God. 
and I was sent to speak to you. Would you say that with me? I was sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. The angel's like, hey, 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 Zechariah, this good news, it's good news for the world, but before it's good news for the world, it is good news for you. God has heard your prayer. God has answered your prayer. God is up to something for the world, but before God gets to something for the world, God is up to something for you. The angel gets incredibly personal. He says, look, here's what, here's what, here's what this son of yours is going to be to the world. But before he's anything to the world, he's going to be your son. And you are going to be a father. And you have a responsibility to raise him to be the man of God that he is called to be. God gets really personal, speaks to you, that your prayer is answered, that your prayers have been heard, that you can expect something, that you have something to prepare for once again. So here's, here's, here's the bottom line. Here's something I, I would hope that you can live with. I hope that you can wake up every day remembering. I hope you can wake up every day and never forget this and never, never again live like this isn't true. I hope you can remember that you can expect that God wants to do something new with you. I hope you can remember that you can expect that God wants to do something new with you. That every single one of us can wake up every day and go, you know, today I can remember that God, that today, that this day, that December 2nd, that December 6th, that December 8th, that whatever day you're, you're, you're watching this, that today God wants to do something new in me. God wants to do something new with me. God wants, wants something new, something that I have never experienced before, something I've never seen before, something I've never felt before, something I've never been a part of before, something I've never lived, lived out before, that God wants to do something new in me and God wants to do something new in you. The prophet Isaiah, who wrote numerous prophecies regarding the, the arrival of the Messiah, he wrote this incredibly beautiful passage in Isaiah chapter 43. Here's what it says. This is what the Lord says, who makes a way in the sea and a path through raging water. In other words, this God who, who can do the impossible, here's what he says. He says, do not remember the past events. Pay no attention to things of old. He says, look, I am about to do something new. Even now it's coming. Even now it's on its way. Even when you don't see it. Even when you don't expect it. Even when you think there's nothing to prepare for. Even now it's coming. It's on its way. Do you not see it? Indeed, I will make a way in the wilderness. Rivers in the desert. Isaiah, looking into the distant future, saw that when Jesus would arrive, God would begin doing a new Thing, something that, that was more personal than anyone had ever experienced, something that was a closer connection to God than anyone had ever thought possible. He was about to do a new thing. He was about to make forgiveness available beforehand. No longer would people have to go sacrifice to God in order to feel close to God for a moment. Forgiveness and connection with God was made available to everyone before they had done anything wrong before there was a sin they could commit, before they were born, before you were born, forgiveness was placed on the table. That is the new thing that God began with the arrival of Jesus. And Isaiah implied that once God began doing this new thing, he would never stop. And it would go on and on and on 
and on. And because of this new connection and this new closeness and this new relationship that we have with God, we could experience the new things that God has for us over and over again. And we could experience the new things that God has for us today and another new thing tomorrow, and that God would never stop doing the new things with His people. Now, I think that's what God wants to do with you this Christmas. In order to do that, I think there's maybe three things that God wants to do with you. The first thing, it might, it might be that I think that God wants to do something in you. I think God wants to do something for you. And I think God wants to do something through you. When I, when, I, when I talk about doing God doing something in you, I think that for some of you this year, for some of you this Christmas, God wants to give you an unexplainable peace. That no matter what's happening around you, and no matter how anxious you feel, and no matter how much anxiety you feel, and no matter how much, how much stress you feel, I think it's possible that God wants to do something in you where He gives you an unexplainable peace, where you wake up tomorrow, or maybe this afternoon, you just, for the first time in a long time, you go, I don't know what it is, but God has given me peace. I feel peace right now. For some of you, there's a genuine forgiveness that God wants to place in you, that you actually can let go of what happened, that you can let go of what happened, that you can let go of what was done to you and what was said about you. You can actually let it go. And by the way, if, you're, if you'd be willing to experience genuine forgiveness for some of the people who have done some things to you, it's probable that you would also get the peace of God, that unexplainable peace comes with it. For some of you, it's an abiding patience. That in this season where for some of you, you have, you have young children and, or, or older children or grand, grandparents or in-laws or, or whatever it is that causes you to lack patience. I think it's possible that this season God could give you and God could fill you with an abiding patience. An abiding ability to move at the speed of another person. To move at a slower speed than you're comfortable with. God could do that in you. And for some of you, God wants to do something in you before he does anything for you, before he does anything through you. He wants to do something in you. So would you open your heart to let God do in you whatever he wants to do in you? For some of you, God wants to do something for you. That for some reason, you've been looking around, you've been looking for different ways to make stuff happen. But maybe, just maybe, it's time to go to God because God can do more for you than you can do for you. For some of you, there is a divine provision that, that, there's, that there's bills that you don't know how you're going to pay. There's gifts that you don't know how you're going to, how you're going to buy. There's, there's things that you do not know how you're going to accomplish. And God may divinely provide for you this season. Matter of fact, as, as we talk about our, our home for Christmas offering, this whole month, I am praying that God would miraculously and divinely provide for His church. That, that God would financially do more than I think is possible. That God, would, that God would provide in a way that we look back and go, only God could do that. That we, that we were part of it, but God alone could do that. For some of you, there's a supernatural freedom that you're going to experience. A freedom from addiction, a freedom from overworking, a freedom from insecurity. And I say supernatural because when it happens, you're not going to go, oh, I read that in a book and I tried something new and I did this and I just decided one day to get over it. No, no, no. Supernatural because you're going to wake up and realize that only God could have set you free from that. God wants to do something in you. I think I know that God also wants to do something for you. In fact, I know that God wants to do something through you. Through you might mean that this season you're going to share the good news, that you're going to get that for, that for the next week, the next two weeks, for the next, next three weeks, while there's this kind of awareness that we're in the Christmas season, 
that you might decide to talk about Jesus more with your neighbors, with your coworkers, with the people in your Zoom calls, that when, that when, you're, that when you're face-to-face or I guess mask-to-mask with someone, that you would actually take the opportunity to share the good news that Jesus loves people, that Jesus came to die on the cross, that he came to this earth to live as one of us, that he sent, went, went to the cross to die for all of us, and that he rose from the dead so that every single person that lives and breathes in this city and all across the world could know and, and experience, experience a connection with their heavenly Father. That maybe this season, what God's going to do through you is that you're going to share the good news. The other thing that I know is it's possible that what God might do through you is that you're going to be the good news. That you're, going to, that you're going to be the hands and feet of Jesus, that you're going to help meet someone's needs, that you're going to share God's love, that you're going to find a need and that you're going to meet it. That if you have a neighbor who doesn't have groceries, you're going to, be, you're going to get the groceries. If you have a neighbor who can't go stand in lines at grocery stores, you'll go stand in the grocery store line for them. That if, you have, if, that if you have some loved ones who aren't going to have the Christmas that they're used to this year and you have more than you need, that maybe just maybe you could be the, be the hands and feet of Jesus that provide, for them, that provide for them miraculously and answer the prayer that they've been praying and that gifts show up on their door that they don't know who they came from and you never say a word about it. But you could share the love of God. I know God's going to do some stuff in you. I know God wants to do some stuff for you. I know God wants to do some stuff through you. But here's the best part of it. I know that in all of that, whether it's in you, for you, or through you, God's going to do it with you. He's always with you. It's always with you. God wants you as an active participant in his plan. God will be with you as he's working things out in you. God will be with you as he's working things out for you. God will be with you as he's, wor- as he's working through you. It's always with you. He's always with you. He did that at the beginning at the very first Christmas when he talked to Uncle Zeke and to Aunt Liz. He still does that today. So let's step out in faith. Let's step out in faith. Let's step out expecting that God has new for me and he has new for you. Let's step out expecting that if, that if we're still breathing, God is not done with us. Let's step out believing that if, God, that if it's not good, God's not done. Let's step out in expectation and let's step out in preparation. Let's, let's, let's be people who are waiting for, who are, who are celebrating Jesus' arrival and celebrating the good news of what God has done for us. Because when we do, we will find that we have arrived at exactly the place that God wants us to be, and we've arrived with exactly the type of faith that God wants us to have. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for who you are. Thank you for your incredible love for us. Thank you for what you did at Christmas. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for Jesus coming to earth. Thank you for the story of, of Zechariah and Elizabeth, for Uncle Zeke and Aunt Liz. Thank you, thank you for their story of what seemed impossible, that God, when, when they weren't expecting anything and when they weren't prepared for anything, God, that's when you showed up. And that's when you began to speak. And that's when you began to move. And so God, I pray that today we would remember that when we don't expect anything from you and when we don't think that there's anything worth preparing for. God, help us to still expect that you are a God who moves and that there is still a new thing that you want to do in us. God, for some of us right now who the new thing is that we need to come to faith in you for the first time in our lives or for the first time in a long time and to begin a brand new relationship with you, help us to take that step today. Help us to begin to connect with you, knowing that you're the God who loves us and cares for us more than we could ever imagine. God, for those of us who today, who there's a step where we, we need to open our hearts to what you want to do in us, help us to do that. God, for those of us who, had, who, who simply maybe we've been looking for all of the wrong directions and, all the, and looking in all of the wrong places for something to be provided for us, God, and for us to find a solution, God, I pray that we would come to you 
and let you be the God who does for us what no one else can do for us. And God, I pray that we would have our hands and our eyes and our ears open to the needs of the world around us. And God, help us to do help help us to do things for the world around us that it show us that you are working through us. So God, whether it's in us, whether it's for us, whether it's through us, God, help us to know the joy of of experiencing the 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 love of God that you are always with us. God, we love you. We thank you. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.